The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture for this morning comes from Jonah 1. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. You may be seated. As we're setting up, uh, you may notice the uh, scripture reading, which is not long, is printed on the back of your bulletins. You may want to keep that handy. Um, as we'll be referring to it. Um, Aaron asked me how long we were going to be in Jonah. It's only four chapters long, and um, they were going to need to plan out uh, children's ministry passages and activities to go along with our series. And I told her, I think we're only going to take 11 weeks to get through Jonah. And she's like, how many different activities can I do regarding a whale and a boat? Um, But that's really her problem, and that's not my problem. So... um, Anyway, um, if you're new here, I just wanted to let you know that one of the things that we wanted to make clear about at Restoration Southside is you don't have to agree with me when I preach a passage. In fact, if everyone in this room thought the same way as I did, I'd be really sad. Because that would mean that we were only reaching a particular tribe of people in the way that we think, in the way that we act. And so I hope that this room, you will know that you will feel the freedom to say, you know, I, I, I pr- appreciate this, I don't appreciate this as much. That you'll feel the freedom to wrestle because ultimately we're all on a journey of wrestling. We see that even in our text this morning. So if you would, let's pray and let's ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you know why you brought each person in this room here today. And I ask that you would move powerfully by your Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to be awakened, that you would cause us to feel loved and pursued, that you would cause us to resonate with those in the story. God, every single person in this room is bearing something. And I ask, God, that you would prove to them that you're alive because of your work in their heart this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When we were leaving Houston, we had been there for about three and a half years. We had several different going away parties and stuff like that to make sure that we spent time with all of our friends. At this time, Knox, my redhead, who's 10 years old, he uh, was actually about three. And so he was in this uh, rambunctious stage, getting into everything, uh, checking out everything he could, exploring everything. And so I took him to one of the going-away parties, and we went to this house, this really nice house in Houston, and they had a pool. And the pool was already open. And so as Knox and I arrived and come around the side of the house and step back and see that the whole party is going to be by the pool... I I turn and look at Knox and I say, do not go by the pool. Do 
not go by the pool, okay? And then he's like, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. Just like the German short-haired pointer, he's just shaking, he's excited. And so he runs off and runs around and starts looking around in the backyard. I immediately take out my keys, my phone, and my wallet and place them on the picnic table because I know at some point during the day, I am going into the pool after Knox. And sure enough, a few minutes later, I hear splash. And I turn and look, and I see this redhead sink to the bottom of the pool. But I knew that it was coming. I knew that it was just too much temptation. It was too too exciting for him to stay far away. So I very calmly stood up from the table, knowing my phone was no longer in my pocket, walked, waded into the water, grabbed him by the shoulders, picked him back up, and walked out of the pool. Everyone said, that all happened way too calmly. How did you know that he was going to fall in? And I said, because I know my son. And there we were, soaking wet and cold together. I knew that he wasn't going to listen. I knew that he wasn't going to obey fully, not because he's such a rotten kid, but because it was just the way he is. It's because he was so rambunctious and exploratory and fun. I knew my son and I knew that I would need to rescue him. It's a small picture of what's going on here in this text is that God knows exactly what Jonah is going to do. He has told Jonah, go to your enemies and preach to them so that they will encounter me as the real God. These terrible, heinous, notorious enemies, you go and preach so that they can receive grace, so that they can receive compassion. And God knew Jonah wasn't going to do it. And so he's ready to chase him. Friends, God knows where you're at too. God knows that we all go through seasons of running. God knows that we go through seasons of disobeying, of hearing exactly what we're told not to do and going and doing it anyway. Or hearing exactly what we're told to do and running the opposite direction. This morning we have this picture that Jonah knows what he's supposed to do and disobeys, and God chases him anyway. That's what I want us to focus on. I just want to talk about two things in this, in this text. If you look at the text, you'll see it. He says... In verse 3, it actually starts, But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then if you look down in verse 4, it says, But the Lord. So there's two things in there where it's setting the stage for the two characters. But Jonah goes and does whatever he wants, but the Lord. Regardless of the fact that Jonah disobeyed, regardless of the fact that Jonah ran in the opposite direction, tried to go as far and as fast as he could, the text reminds us, but the Lord. You see, God refuses to give Jonah what is comfortable. What is comfortable for Jonah. He refuses to be the kind of God Jonah wants him to be. We'll get into why Jonah runs later in in Jonah 4. But Jonah wants God to be the kind of God that would smash these people. These evil people who aren't bringing good to anyone. Jonah wants God to be the kind of God that smashes them, that them. And God was 
refuses to be that kind of God. He's demonstrating Himself as this God of patience and compassion, this God of mercy. And His own prophet doesn't want Him to get mercy. And so Jonah runs. And it's so important for us to remember because when you experience disappointment in the character of God, when you experience something that He's like that you wish He weren't like, something that you wish He'd given you and He hasn't given you, you will turn and run. What are the disappointments, friend, in your own life? And the frustrations do you impose on God? What causes you to run? You see, we all struggle to run from God in disappointment because of who Jesus is. We must come back. First of all, but Jonah. Did you see? He actually pays for the fare. It says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah actually probably had to save up. He had to take all of what he had, all of his money. For us, it just happened so fast. Jonah did this, Jonah did this, Jonah did this. This is a a long trip. It would have probably been a year-long trip to get all the way there to Tarshish. So he pays the fare. He actually shells out cash to get far away from what he's supposed to do. Friends, what does that mean for you? Don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at how far you will go to avoid a genuine encounter with God. Don't be surprised. This isn't one of the bad guys in the text. This isn't one of the Ninevites. This is the prophet of the Lord. Don't be surprised at how far you will go to avoid a genuine encounter with God. He paid the fare to run from God. And honestly, friends, we do the same thing. It can be so easy to think that following God costs me fun, happiness, personal fulfillment. Following the world doesn't really cost me anything. It gives me stuff. So it's easier to just follow the ways of the world. Friends, it will cost you either way. It will cost you either way. Now I want you to hear this. It's important that we distinguish this a couple of times during the sermon this morning. Not all pain is attached to sin. Not all pain is attached to sin. But all sin is attached to pain. Not all pain is attached to sin, but all sin is attached to pain. And we'll talk about that a little while, long, a little while later. But for, for now, I just want you to realize that every single storm in your life Every single storm in your life is not necessarily indicative of the fact that you're sinning. Some of it's the fact that we live in a broken world. Some of it's the fact that the Father is giving us a fresh sense of Himself, that we're joining Christ in sufferings. There's, there's uh, reactions from other sins that we'll suffer from. I don't want you to jump to the fact that if you are in a storm right now, that means that you are sinning. There's people in the Old Testament who make that mistake all the time. But even if all your pain isn't attached to sin, all your sin is attached to pain. Don't for one single second think you can go on sinning and that there will be no pain involved. Whether it's food or alcohol or sex or pride or gossip or hurting others or taking what you want or lying or coveting a life that does not belong to you. Friends, 
your sin and my sin will bring pain. One of the ways that you actually know that you're growing in grace is that when you sin, it's not that you stop sinning, it's that when you sin, the time between your sin and your repentance is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You see Jonah here? He sins and he takes off and he is headed to the other side of the world. If you want to ask your heart this question, ask how long does it take me to repent from my sin? Ironically, there's this switch that goes off inside of us. Say you've sinned on any one given night. And you start to think, oh, that was bad. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Oh, I said I wasn't going to do that again and here I am. And I feel so ashamed. I'm so awful. I'm such not a good Christian. And I'm just going to fall asleep and then wake up and feel miserable. And maybe later on that day you'll be like, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. Ironically, we feel like the time that we should stay away is actually showing respect for God. It's saying, hey God, I understand I messed up. I can't be close to you right now. So I'll stay a little bit more distant from you. But actually, a repentant person gets... The, the space gets shorter and shorter in between your sin because it says, oh, here I need grace again. Here I need Jesus again. You'll know that you're growing if you repent faster and faster to keep your conscience from getting numb. But I want you to see this from the text. Sin is always a big deal. It doesn't feel like it in the moment. See if you recognize this voice. See if you can hear who this is. Just go ahead and do it. It's not that big a deal. Who's going to notice? What does it really matter? Who is this hurting? I know in my own personal darkest moments of sin, the voice that I could hear the loudest over and over repeating was this. Who am I really hurting? Who is this really costing me? And when you look up, you realize that it was a lie. It was Satan telling you that because your sin has become devastating to a community of people, sometimes a large community of people, sometimes a small, meaningful community of people around you. Jonah is acting as if God gave him an order. He's going to disobey the order. God will send someone else, and it's not that big a deal. And we see from God's actions that it's a big deal to sin. It's a big deal to sin. Friends, in your life, what are the things that you're saying it's not that big a deal? It doesn't matter that much. Who's it really going to cost? It's no big deal. Well, you see that he paid for his run, but did you also see his descent into trouble? His descent into trouble? Look with me at the text. says this at the beginning of 3, but Jonah rose to flee Tarshish and from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Then the Lord hurls a great wind upon him and then it says in the next verse that Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. You see, the author of the story is telling us that we continue to go down. We continue to take steps to isolate ourselves from God and isolate ourselves from community. Haven't you been in that moment where you realize you need help with something or you need 
somebody to walk alongside you as you're sinning. And instead of getting help, instead of reaching out to someone, you think, I've got to keep this to myself. I've got to bear this on my own. I've got to keep moving away from others and away from God, and eventually I will sort this out. You see, our sin takes us down and away from God and away from others. And it happens so subtly. So subtly. The descent into trouble is one decision and then a following decision and a following decision. You see, he repeats it quickly here. He says this, Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, found a ship, paid the fare, went down into it to go into Tarshish. Do you hear that? It all happens. One decision, one decision, one decision. Have you ever looked up after wrestling with your sin and said, how did I get here? How did I get here? I could have never imagined myself getting here. How did I get here? And it happens one intentional decision at a time. We can illustrate this from Scripture. King David, who's the most famous king of the Old Testament. King David is the most famous king, but he's also most famous for his biggest sin, which was to steal another man's wife, Bathsheba, and to bring her into his home. But the whole story of David envying and lusting and taking what does not belong to him and then covering up his sin, committing adultery, and then ultimately killing a man. It all starts with this. This is 2 Samuel 11. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One decision. David remained in Jerusalem. What the author is telling us there is that David is supposed to be out on the front lines with his people. He's supposed to be advising the generals and the commanders. He's supposed to be present with his men so they can see him. And David gets himself into all this trouble. Why? Because he's decided to stay home when kings go off to war. Jonah got himself in trouble very quickly. He rose. He rose. And then he flees. And then he goes down to Joppa. And then he finds a ship. And then he pays for the ship. And then he goes into the ship. Friends, let me say this. Watch how carefully Watch how subtly your fall into sin can be. You make one decision, and then you make another one, and then you make another one, and you need to cover that one, and so you make another one. My favorite show of all time is called Breaking Bad. It's this story about a man named Walter White. He's a chemistry teacher in the show. And he finds out that he's diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And he only has two years to live, and Walter White decides... He's got this son he needs to provide for. He's got this wife he needs to provide for. He is going to begin making meth and selling it. He embarks on this career of drugs and crime. What I love so much about the show is there's is the slow descent into evil. 
Meaning it's not like one of the comic book characters. It's also like those, but there's a good guy and then there's a bad guy. And the bad guy's always been bad and we know he's bad because of how he talks and because of how he dresses. And then the good guy's obviously good. But in a show like this, this, this man who wants to be a good dad, he wants to be a good father, he wants to be a good provider for his family, and he makes a decision. And then that provides him with a new reality of choices, and so he makes another decision. And that provides him with another reality of choices, so he makes another decision. And I just appreciate the subtlety that bad men, bad women don't become that way because they woke up one morning and decided to be that way. They came that way one decision at a time. Friends, what are the decisions in your life that you're flirting with? To take one more step away from God and one more step towards your past. You see that He paid for His run. You see His descent into trouble. But I also want you to appreciate the fact that no one is inoculated from sin. None of us here are immune from sin. Think about all the pastors who have fallen into sin recently. It happens almost all the time. It's common. It would have been so easy from the outside to conclude that Jonah is given a word from the Lord. Jonah says, yes, Lord, I love when you speak to me and tell me what to do. I will go straight away to Nineveh, even though I don't like it. And I will go and I will preach mercy. I'll preach repentance to these people so that they could get grace. That's what everyone would assume Jonah would do, because Jonah's one of the good guys. And instead, Jonah runs. And the reason that I tell you that is it would be a disservice to you as your pastor to say, you won't make bad decisions. Once you get far enough along in your faith, all the little kid sins, they'll go away. All the lustful teenage sins, they'll go away. All the wild college sins, they'll go away. And it would be a disservice to you. Because Jonah's one of the good guys. David's one of the good guys. When they stand up and walk out on God, no one of, no one of us is safe from sin. Ian Dugan said this, quoting another pastor, he said, When a person decides to run from the Lord, Satan always provides complete transportation for Jonah. When a person decides to run from the Lord, Satan always provides complete transportation for failure. There's this scene in a movie from a long time ago. Jack Nicholson is trapped in this hotel with his family during winter. And he's starting to lose it. He's starting to go crazy. He's starting to get cabin fever. He's starting to think horrible thoughts. And one night when he's wandering around the old hotel by himself, he sits down at the bar and he's supposed to have given up alcohol. He's supposed to be dried out and sober because of the mistakes that he's made in his past. And Nicholson looks down and says, I would sell my soul to the devil for a shot like when he looks up, there's a bartender. Friends, do not be surprised at how quickly you will be tempted. How quickly your way into sin will be provided once you've decided to pursue it. None of us are safe from sin. If we start listening to our own flesh and start listening to the temptation of the devil. But I want you to notice something really sweet about this. God doesn't need Jonah. God could have easily went and got somebody else and said, Hey, 
you don't pay attention when I talk, and so I'm getting somebody else to go save this city. Somebody else is going to be the hero of the day that preaches repentance to Nineveh. Somebody else is going to have a book written about them, about the guy that actually obeyed. But God is always using messed up people to do what He wants us to do. What he wants to do. God is always using messed up people to do what God calls us to do. We'll see in this text that God has got everyone else obeying but Jonah. The commentator said, Jonah is surrounded by creatures that run to do the Lord's will. A fish, a plant, a worm, a wind, pagan sailors, cruel Ninevites, only Jonah stand against God and grace. Don't for one second think that you can't be used until you're saved. When I encourage somebody to pursue some kingdom effort and they look at me like, you have no idea how messed up I am. And I'm looking right back at them and I'm like, yeah, I do. I'm worse. Other than the Holy Spirit, God exclusively uses crooked lines to draw straight sticks. Let me say that again. Other than the Holy Spirit, God exclusively uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. God uses sinners like that. That's ultimately the point. Ultimately, the point is is that the people who are supposed to be good are disobeying, and they're sent to these people who aren't acting good, but repent. And God's saying, don't categorize people. You don't know what I will do. And as a church, that's so much what I long for us to do, is to look at the least, the lost, the lonely, the left out, and say, God has sent us to them, not because we have it all together. In fact, He sent us to them because we know that we don't have it together. What has God called you to do? And instead, you're currently headed to Tulsa. Maybe that means lingering with a talkative neighbor at the mailbox, even though they're annoying, so that they will feel loved. Maybe it means asking for personal encouragement from your unbelieving friends so that they will know that you don't have it all together. Friends, where are you called to act and instead you're headed the opposite way? If you're in the room and you don't agree with me, you don't agree with about the Bible, you don't agree with Jesus, you know that I'm glad you're here. But I want you to notice this. That God is interested in rescuing notorious sinners in Nineveh. But He still needs to rescue His own people too. If you have been made feel by Christians that you are low and they are high, that you are bad and they are good, that you need help and they no longer need help, that is not what this book says. God is going to go save Nineveh in all of their worldly ways, and to do that, He's first got to rescue His own flock. We Christians don't have it together either. So how are you running from God? Honestly, I thought about this a lot this week. I think the main new way of running from God is apathy. It's apathy. It's not this necessarily thoughtful angst against the truths of the Bible. No, it's more like, that's fine for you. That's okay. It's more this apathy. 
It's more like this sense that we're just not going to care that much. We're going to win the argument by not caring that much. Our new way of running from God is just not caring. Does that resonate with you? So you see, but Jonah, he pays to run. He descends intentionally one step at a time into trouble. And even Jonah, a prophet of God, does not say from shame. Then the text says, but the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The terminology he's using here is the spear. It's when you hurl a spear. That's what it's talking about. That's the word that he uses. It's it's as if to say, this isn't by chance that this storm's going to hit it. God sees what Jonah's doing, and He hurls the storm at the sea. Some of us have decided that running from God is preferable to standing in His presence. The prodigal son did the same thing. Mark Twain once said this, It's not the things in the Bible which I don't understand that trouble me. It's the things that I do understand. You see, God sees this prophet and chases him with a storm. We shouldn't be surprised when this storm. This is a respected prophet. We will sin again and again and again as Abraham and Moses and David and Jonah and Peter. But the good news is that God will catch you. And I know that sounds ominous. In fact, He's referred to as the hound of heaven by some, as if He is chasing and not letting go. But I want you to know that that's actually what it feels like. Spurgeon once said this, I must confess, I would never have been saved if I could have helped it. I would have never been saved if I could have helped it. As long as I ever could, I rebelled and revolted and struggled against God. When He would have me pray, I would not pray. When He would have me listen to the sound of ministry, I would not. And when I heard and the tear rolled down my cheek, I wiped it away and defied Him to melt my soul. But long before I began with Christ, He began with me. Friends, if you're on the run, if you're running like Jonah, if you've heard Him call for you, call for your allegiance, call for your life, call for you to lay down your weapons and come to Him, if you've heard Him call for you, you're not going to outrun Him. You're not going to outrun Him. Sometimes when I'm meeting with someone that's running from Him and they're admitting that they're running from Him, I say, I want to say, humble yourself sooner rather than later because He will catch you. And He will do whatever it takes to get your attention because He loves you. That means He will take away good things for you even if He has to, to get your attention to give you what is best for you. This will never be taken from you. I want to say this quickly. Not every storm is your fault. Job's friends get into trouble because they think Job's experiencing all this bad stuff because Job's friends have said, this is your fault. Jesus twice in the New Testament says that pain is not necessarily associated with sin. They ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither of them sinned. Then 
others bring up to him that Galileans must have been so particularly sinful because a power fell on them. And Jesus says, that's not true. You were sinful. So friends, don't be quick to conclude that every storm in your life is because of sin. But instead, be very quick to conclude that every sin in your life will cause a storm. If you are sinning, you will experience hurt. Others around you will experience hurt. We're reminded that Jonah has several links to Jesus in the New Testament. The story that we've made reference to before, Jesus is asleep in a boat. Asleep in a boat and a storm comes up. And His disciples come to Him and say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, and says to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then it says this, Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. That grammar doesn't quite catch it. What that looks like to us is that there was huge waves and maybe lightning and rain coming down. And then all of a sudden Jesus stands up, hush, and it's like, okay, it starts to balance out and calm down. What the text is actually saying is that in the midst of this huge storm on the lake, Jesus stands up and says, hush. And the, and the, the lake goes like this. you know what they say? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. You see, here in Jonah, God hurls a storm at Jonah because he won't listen to who he is. God hurls a storm at him. And He says, I love you too much to let you make a mess of the rest of your life. I'm going to come get you. And so He has power over the wind and the waves. And then here we see with Jesus, that Jesus has power to calm the wind and the waves. So friends, you have to ask yourself, do you want to be running the opposite direction in your life? Do you want to be running the opposite direction and having God throw wind and waves and storms at you because of your sin? Or do you want to be drawing near to the One who's taking the wind and the waves and calming them in your life? Ultimately, on the cross, Jesus takes the storm so that we can get the peaceful water. Don't run anymore. Don't run anymore. Let Him catch you. Let's pray. Father, for those in the room who have never bowed their knee to Jesus, I pray that You'd be powerfully at work in them because of Your Holy Spirit, that You'd cause them to not run. To be comfort, comforted that You will calm the wind and the storms in their life. For those of us who bowed our knee before but have run off, I pray, God, that You will kindly and purposely bring us back. If we're admitted, we're tired of running. We're tired of running and we know that You're going to catch us. Would You catch us sooner rather than later before we make a mess of ourselves? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.